Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Man, life comes at you fast. It was less, I think it was Wednesday, maybe Tuesday, that the first Bradley Beal rumors came out. It was only May 24th, I believe, that Michael Winger even took the Wizards job. And now word comes that Bradley Beal will, at some point in the next couple of weeks, once this trade is finalized, and we'll get into that, be a Phoenix Sun in exchange for Chris Paul and Landry Shamet and some consideration. We don't really have a great idea on what that is yet, Danny. We're just kind of guessing, but any guesses on what that's going to end up being? The Suns do not have a lot of draft capital left, so we can narrow it down a little bit. Uh, they owe their 23, 25, 27, and 29 first-round picks to the Nets. They also have a swap owed to Brooklyn um, in, involving Brooklyn in 2028. So theoretically, they could kind of trade within that swap right in 28, or they could do something in 24, 26. And then depending on when the timing of this trade happens, 2030 as well, if if it happens at the right time. Yeah, within the swap right, meaning that... Uh, the pick they're still getting back. Yeah, so the Suns, yeah, basically they would be able to offer up Brooklyn's pick. So it would be the Sun, the, the, the Suns getting the... The worst of Brooklyn, Washington, and there, right. and Washington getting the second worst. But yeah, so I mean, congrats, Brooklyn. You got the that twenty eight swap. Now this deal all is going to need to get done in this permutation this league year. Part of the reason for that is that to do the one hundred twenty five percent salary matching under this CBA, as opposed to the more limited salary matching for a team in the Suns situation over the second apron in all likelihood once the new CBA, which isn't even done yet, kicks in. So that's a, a reason why this has to get done then. And that actually probably saves the Suns because if it didn't have to get done now, they probably would have had to include a 2030 pick swap uh, also, but that's not eligible to be traded until after the new league year flips over. So, I mean, I guess this could be up to seven seconds uh, as the price and well Nate it could be seven yeah. seconds or less <laughs> I guess in this case it would actually be or fewer but who cares <sighs> well I think actually the title of that book should have been seven seconds or fewer uh, maybe time is less I don't know and anyway let's get to talking about this first from the sun's perspective what do you make of it there are a couple of perspectives that i think are worth are worth pursuing from the sun's perspective one is it appears and i will caution i'm saying the word it appears because some of the swap depending on what this ends up being could end up being juicier the sun you know they're very present focused now we'll get into that but 
from an asset perspective, this wasn't the the Suns giving up a lot. You know, Chris Paul. There was a heavy speculation. Well, uh, of not, that they they didn't exactly have a lot. <laughs> exactly, but also, but like they didn't. You know, they didn't trade young players. They didn't trade. They they traded what they had asset wise largely. Um, but you know, Chris Paul wasn't necessarily a part of their plans moving forward. Landry Shamit could have been, but isn't essential. You know, he did have a rotation part to play during portions of these playoffs. So from that perspective, it's the idea of like, oh, you didn't give up a lot and you've got a very talented player in Bradley Beal who isn't young, but is also, you know, like this is mostly going to be his early 30s. So it's not like he's ancient or anything like that. And Beal is a very good basketball player. So I, I think that from a from more of a talent perspective, you could say, hey, we got we got a talent upgrade for a very low asset cost. It does come at a great financial cost moving forward because Bradley Beal, you may have heard, is owed a lot of money moving <laughs> forward. He has you know, so I'll just to run through the years of this contract, which I picked in part because of his no trade clause as the worst contract in basketball the last time we did it. 46.7 million in 2324, 50.2, 53.7, and then a player option. 57.1 million dollars so that is a lot of bradley beal he will actually be the second highest paid son for most of that time making more than booker and less than kd so that's the second thread of this it's like you added a lot you added a meaningful amount of talent at a let's say for the moment low asset cost but you are an extremely expensive team you are an extremely inflex inflexible team moving forward so that allows us to primarily be like well is this core good enough to do what the Suns want to do yeah see I don't think that's the right framing okay that that was the right framing when they traded for I, I think it's it wasn't even necessarily the right framing when they I mean it's, a, it's an important question ultimately to analyze this team but I don't think it's as important of a question for making this deal and at same thing with KD the whole reason I ultimately was like yeah they probably should negotiate a little bit harder but ultimately I would have done that KD deal as the Suns is because the alternative path just wasn't that appealing ultimately the path before kd was okay i guess you know chris paul is going to kind of age out and you know mikhail bridges now people didn't understand how good mikhail bridges was going to get even just going to brooklyn maybe they should have held on to him but deandre ayton wasn't really developing that well and so they were kind of looking like they're gonna be devin booker and some guys and so go for it and get KD and hey you know what no maybe you're not guaranteed to win a championship you might not even be a favorite with KD but you're giving yourself more of a chance than you would with just holding on to the same guys that were pretty much proving that they weren't good enough already because they other than Devin Booker there wasn't going to be enough power on this team and I find that same rationale compelling in making this Beal deal yeah you know what they're they are completely all in right now they have no flexibility to change anything to do anything they didn't have that before (laughs) (laughs) like like what amazing shit were they gonna do with these seven second round picks or whatever it's gonna end up being or chris paul's expiring contract Woj was saying that the ayton market was tepid big fucking surprise uh, because he's not that good compared to how much money he's making and so yeah if you like to me the question is do they have a better chance of winning a championship this upcoming year with Bradley Beal on their roster as opposed to Chris Paul is gonna get waived anyway by the way remember that as opposed to whoever they're gonna sign for the mid-level and Landry Shamit as long as uh uh, Matt Pushbia is going to be willing to pay this uh, into the second apron for a while. And we'll talk more about the financial consequences going forward here. As long as he's willing to pay it, like, absolutely. This is, uh, I'm not going to say this is a no brainer of a deal, 
And also, we got to talk about just what they're going to look like with Bradley Beal. And, you know, I acknowledge he's not like the greatest fit of the guys they could have gotten. But like compared to going to be 39 years old in the playoffs, Chris Paul next year. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think I'd rather have Bradley Beal. And the opportunity cost is just very limited. Again, it's like door number two. You got a pretty good idea of what's behind door number two and so i think i would rather just go get beal than just like i mean maybe they could have figured something out and like just get some some other players around but they didn't have the assets to really go get anyone who's gonna matter this year right like like so you think that whoever they get for the mid-level and you know i guess maybe they could have figured out a way to use the bae or something or maybe like made some trades with some seconds for some other overpaid guys just getting like some more kind of schlubby lower end starters or whatever in there like that was a better path than this i i don't think so i really don't there's another part of this story that i hadn't fully thought about until you you brought it up which is very Paris that like this deal is obviously significantly affected by the new collective bargaining agreement that is going in place. But it's an important consideration here because it is going to be significantly harder for very expensive teams to add talent. Now, that can be through the taxpayer mid-level being weaker and then non-existent for second apron teams could get into the frozen pick stuff or, or just all of these different elements. And so one theory of the case here for Phoenix is a, from an asset perspective, you know, you weren't going to get anything positive. Chris Paul is a negative value contract at this deal. That's why he was going to get probably cut for it. And, you know, still might. I'll, I'll get into some of the nuances of this trade from that perspective. Shamit, to me, unambiguously negative, though you can't. It's one year, really, because then it those the last last couple of years are non-guaranteed. So it's like it's negative, but it's temporary. Like, for example, Shamit, even if you thought it's below water, it's not going to be on like, my worst contracts list or anything like that anymore. So that and you gave up an, an undefined amount of seconds and whatever this pick swap ends up being but you brought up that like what else were you going to get for chris paul and and the you know retooling with Aiden and and that's the like to me that's the crux of the issue is i think this deal is simultaneously like a little bit disappointing for phoenix just because i don't love the fit of this core but i also think that it was the best it was the best reasonable deal that could that they could come across because they were so asset poor and because in these circumstances what you're looking for from a talent perspective is someone you can get for what you have and one way to do that is you know like a distressed asset another way to do that is an asset that is artificially distressed in this case because he had a no trade clause yeah well there's so much to talk about for, with that and the washington perspective um as well um but yeah i just and i think also yeah we've seen matt ishbia be extremely aggressive and clearly there is a uh, degree of fascination with stars here that might be a little bit too much and you want to say all right we're just going to get stars we don't we don't need a rest of the team and all, all that uh, like valid criticisms too. but i also think you have to give the suns a little credit that by this point in the process and particularly given what they had gotten out there from the chris paul discussions i don't know if it was they who leaked that or, or chris's side but teams you know agents players like certainly knew that they had a decent possibility of getting the mid-level like guys do their teams do their work ahead of time agents do their work ahead of time so i think you have to say that phoenix at least in their mind we don't know exactly what it might have been 
but that they had at least some understanding of what door number two waving Absolutely. ball using the mid-level might have got them and that they were able to make at least a, somewhat of an informed decision on that although we will probably not know what that was but again as i looked at the market and we did their off season we we're like all right who are they gonna get like it was pretty depressing right to think of of what kind of player they were you know would they uh dylan brooks or you got that like it's just kind of like you know this is not they weren't going to transform their team enough uh, i would say um and then you could say well couldn't they make a deal like this later so i'm like no there you're never there's no possible way to get a talent like bradley beal in the door this is a unique situation i think that by convincing beal that this is where he wanted to be they forced the wizards to accept a terrible return which you know if it had been miami miami would have probably had to give up some picks or whatever but because phoenix just didn't have them they managed to work this out so let's let's talk about it here now danny what what is this team going to be uh let's just talk about just what they have financially (laughs) and what uh, you know any bird rights or anything like that uh, to bring guys back but uh, just from that perspective um well they have or or do you want to talk about just the like long-term financial outlook first i'll I'll leave it up to you let's let's start with let's start with the roster in part because there is mostly stability not 100 percent stability we we can assume that durant beal and booker will be there for the long term each of those players is under contract for at least three more seats this 23 24 24 25 and 25 26 beyond that point beal has that player option then booker has two more years um on his extension so he won't he won't expire until 28 and then the only other guy that's on guaranteed contract for the phoenix suns is deandre ayton and ayton has three more years left on this 25 percent max deal that was a matched offer sheet from the indiana pacers last offseason those three players alone will make 162.9 million next year that's not all the way to the second apron but it's you know when you factor in minimums and everything else it gets you pretty dang close so the expectation would be that it's going to be difficult for them to like without basically saving money in an Aiton deal use the taxpayer level so that's consideration that also means that the players who the Suns have right now have significantly more leverage than they would normally that could be Darius Baisley who they have you know, they traded for and they have his restricted rights or they could they could even like work something there um i you probably don't want to make him a qualifying offer though because the qualifying offer could be a little rich and then expensive with how far you're on the tax they yeah, have and Jock. he also would be untradeable uh if he accepts that true um jock landale they have his restricted rights that was you know i thought he was the throw-in at one point but then he had a, of course a wonderful season for them um they have non-bird on tg warren and damian lee so they can't give them a big raise but then they have early bird rights according to my notes on tory craig and bismack biombo that could be enough for those guys and then you talk to josh kogi and terrence ross again to non-bird guys so it's Basically, it's those players, and unless you save significant money in an Aiton deal, minimums the rest of the way. So somebody like Tory Craig or Bismack Biyombo, they can say like, you can't do better than us. And if Mattishby is willing to pay the money, then you might as well, you know, keep them around. At Bet three six five, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play, from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. 
Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Yeah, and financially, as far as just getting better this year, there is that possibility of, I mean, again, it's just money, at least for this year, and it won't. it's not as bad as it's going to get in future years once those tax payments really ramp up, uh, which is not until the 25-26 season that you really get into that crazy repeater tax, which they'll be in, by the way, at that point. Uh, but And then they'll also, this regular season, the last year that you can, if you're over the second apron, that you can aggregate salaries together to bring back a larger contract so if they wanted to sign a Baisley or a Tory Craig or a Landale and then move them Cameron Payne for another player they won't have the assets to go get another player necessarily the next pick that they can trade will be at the 24 draft which you know, it could get them something in theory at that point uh but because of the Stepien rule you can only trade that pick after it's made technically but you can make it for someone else and so you could aggregate guys together basically just to take back a guy who's probably overpaid basically the only asset that you have is being willing to spend money that yeah, kind of clipper style where you could aggregate some of these guys together and get back another like semi-significant piece who's making too much money that a team wants to get off at that point in time so they're not going to have much around the big four i mean i imagine campaign will probably start for them at point guard and they would just have booger start at three maybe they bring craig back and he could start at the three uh, also i think that probably their best way to play would be just without a technical point guard and that it, booker would do that a little bit more kd can do some beal can do some. it's really they got plenty of guys who can initiate in the half court and all those guys can pass it well enough it's really more just like bringing the ball up and like against pressure or something it's like a little bit annoying but that's fine uh and then i think it, defensively too you would love to be in a situation particularly at the end of games against good teams where bradley beal and devin booker are your backcourt you got pretty decent size and versatility there as opposed to having to go Devin Booker at the three, someone like Payne who weighs buck seventy-five out there as well, then you're really kind of compromising your defense. And Payne isn't really a great spot up shooter either. Um, Beal and Booker are like like Booker is just kind of like better than Bradley Beal in every possible way, but they are maybe the two most similar players at the shooting guard position because they can shoot threes. They kind of more like to operate in the mid range. They can operate on ball and pick and roll. They can operate off the ball, off of screens. They can post up a little against smaller players they can drive draw some fouls uh well there, there's also the weird parallel between booker and beal that both guys came into the league with these really really strong shooting reps for three they became significantly yeah. more varied and successful offensive forces but their three-point shot has never quite been what we thought it was going to be like they're still both good and get respected out there but you know booker has been a career 35% three-point shooter, 36. He was 35 this year as well. And Beal, he's 37 career, but has been below that the last few. Like that was mostly fueled by his early career. 
And but they're both very good offensive players. I don't mean that to denigrate either of them in any way, shape or form. And the other really encouraging part for Phoenix and and, I mean, it's not great to see what he's going to probably have to do in the postseason next year. But Devin Booker taking some big steps defensively in the playoffs, that is useful because Bradley Beal, he's not going to do well with tough assignments. But if Booker could take some of those, it does make life easier on them. Yeah. And hopefully this will mean that KD and Booker don't feel like they have to play 47.9 minutes game in the playoffs uh, and because at least they can they can have two of those three guys on the floor at all times in the playoffs is this group gonna be less than the sum of its parts i think it's certainly possible it's possible i, th- I think they, they will grow. yeah i mean i guess if i had to yeah like they're not all gonna average 30 a game right like that in that way yes but beal actually got more efficient last year like kd you know he can be really efficient on not that many shots uh you know that he knows how to do that he can space the floor he knows how to play off of others uh and i think beal he is good i think he's going to defend a lot better than people expect like i think he actually when he really wants to bring it he actually would take on some of the best assignments for a washington team that you know obviously didn't have the greatest perimeter defenders during his time there but i think with him freed up in a winning situation now he knows what the deal is coming there that he's going to be the number three guy i think he you're going to be pleasantly surprised with his level of focus defensively and how much team ball that he wants to play where i think the diminishing returns could come in is just all these guys trying to get to mid-rangers too much uh now if you want to say no no team is going to have anywhere close to the required perimeter defense to guard all three of these guys right like bradley beal he's going to be going against probably the other team's point guard a lot of the time and i mean that's he could really become very efficient that way and while none of these guys are have like have always have loved spacing out and shooting a ton of threes they're always going to get guarded right the other so that's not really a concern and i think hopefully all of them will get better at shooting the three we'll see whether frank vogel and a year of trying to play that way gets them there you know you saw in that game two against denver where they saw the math on the three and they're just like all right we're just gonna come out and shoot a bunch of threes now like kd is like i'm gonna just fire like eight threes in the first half and it just it, he wasn't used to playing that way he just like decided he was gonna try it for that game and he, he wasn't able to hit shots and it was it showed just their lack of continuity and how they were just throwing darts at the wall throughout that whole series but i think over the course of a season I and mean, that's the other important thing about this with compared to door number two that they're they do this now you can make other moves through the rest of the transaction season you can get some of these ring chaser guys to join you at the start of the year because they're you know they, they would now be limited on getting buyout guys too I mean, what are they going to do without being able to sign t- this year's terrence ross so i think just the chance to build continuity with this group fill in at least some guys who make sense even if they're at lower level contracts around this group potentially make another move at the deadline even if it's lower level and have a chance to build throughout the season is going to be really important guys so i I, yeah there's a chance it implodes but there's a chance it was going to implode anyway and this is this is a lot of offense talent on this team it's just up to them to make it work out and i i think they're going to do better than some uh than some people think they're i'm very interested in part because we saw so little in the regular season of booker and durant together like that we haven't seen too much of the theory of this of this team in their previous iteration much less the current one of uh, something i a criticism i levied of the kd nets frequently and part of this is durant part of it was his teammates of the low-hanging fruit so like overall last year phoenix 
didn't get to the line a ton. I think they will be better in that respect. They also didn't run aggressively in transition. Some of that is Chris Paul, who is no longer there. But can they do some of those things? Because I think their half-court offense will be good. I don't think it's going to be like, you know, like necessarily like a wild, like 115 or anything. You know, I remember what the Celtics were doing early last season. I think they can be on the better side there. So I, I think their offense will be strong um, and at times elite and you and the idea of like matchups being important they're they're going to have these advantages. And even if yeah, I mean, you can play Beal, Durant and Booker a lot together. And then even in the spans when they're apart, whether it's due to injury or just rest during a given game. You have that. Why I say they're worse, they're, they'll be weaker than the sum of their parts. And some of that is the offense and what they're trying to get to and what you can take away. The other part of it is on the defensive end. They're going to be asking a lot of the other two closers, whoever those are. Maybe maybe DeAndre is one of them. Maybe he's not. Because Booker can take on some of those assignments. Beal can take on some. But, you, you know, with the core foundation of Durant, Beal, and Booker, you don't really have that lead point of attack defender to me. You don't have that lead wing defender, but you do have some capable help guys. And then I'm not sold on Aiton as the like tone setter, you know, lead protector. We criticized no. his reactions and everything else a lot in the playoffs. And so the difference between this Suns team and the current Nuggets team that just got crowned champions is that Denver's offense, we we know how good they are. And whenever Jokic's on the floor, Jokic's brilliance allowed them to play a lot of other defensive players without sacrificing on offense. And you don't have to be as good as the Nuggets to make this trade worth doing. But the theory for the Suns is going to be different. And we haven't seen too many teams like that reach the promised land, even if they can reach high levels. Yeah, we're who that fifth closer is going to be is going to be fascinating. Like, could Tory Craig be good enough in that role? Is Bradley Beal or Devin Booker is probably going to have to be your main defender on the opposing team's point guard, most likely. So that's not necessarily going to be great. And I think they still need, you can't have just a total shooting liability out there. Like you can't have a Josh Kogi type of guy out there necessarily. I think we saw that at Denver series. They just weren't able to keep up. But also part of the reason why they struggled so much with that one non-shooter out there is they just had no continuity and no real counters on how to deal with that. And so if you have an entire season with these guys, maybe you can figure out a, a way to get something more out of, you know, could they acquire more of a jared vanderbilt type like a guy who's actually like a four play kd at the three and then you just have a lot of size and maybe you actually can't defend at that that point uh, i do like also for the playoffs that this will open up kd to do more defensively i actually thought there were moments that he was very good in that nugget series defensively he was. and he was he was having a great season for brooklyn defensively before that so opening him up to play a little bit more of a supporting role offensively at least until the end of the game and giving them a lot on defense and on the boards i think could be help them play some more winning basketball because like kd actually is one of the better defensive power forwards out there if he's able to concentrate on that enough frank vogel will have his job cut out for it but he was, that was gonna be the case anyway of whether he's gonna be able to reach deandre ayton or not and i'm just not sure M- maybe there's a deal to be made with ayton at the deadline but they also would kind of need to bring back a center right which is another fascinating aspect of all this but he's got three years left on his deal he's making a lot and i mean maybe they can rehab his value enough that he could then be traded because that's kind of at at an adir at this point so still a tbd on this for the suns but i'm sorry
sorry. Like people who are complaining uh, about this, like, yeah, the odds are it's probably not going to work, but it already probably wasn't going to work. And if you could trade a 39 year old Chris Paul for next year's playoffs for a Bradley Beal who hasn't played that much recently, but still is about to turn 30 and I think could still be at a top 30, top 40 level in the NBA. Yeah, he's totally overpaid, but like their team was super expensive anyway. If HB uh, is willing to pay it, okay. You know, and, and so let's let's get into the financial implications here now. Here's how I kind of foresee this happen. They are basically, unless they move on from one of the big four, they will be in the second apron through the 25-26 season. That is when KD's contract ends and when Aiden's contract ends at the summer of 2026 is when that's over. Booker, his designated player of veteran extension hasn't even kicked in yet. He gets a $12 million raise next year, and then that goes out four more years after that. Uh, so next year, in 24-25 and 25-26, that's when it's going to be, you're, they're going to have like insane. Uh, yeah, I mean, for, for both those years, they're just with like four guys on roster, they're 17 million over the tax line based on based on current estimates. And that's, you know, that's not filling out the roster yeah. at all. That's not that, that's doing basically anything. at the second apron with four guys is where they're at. Um, basically, yes. So let, let's go through just how these restrictions are going to happen. So basically for next year, other than more difficult trade matching. So next year being 23, 24, other than more difficult trade matching and not getting the tax mid-level, there isn't really any penalty to doing this deal financially. And that includes the draft pick freezing. 24-25 is when the draft pick freezing comes in. So you can now cannot trade your pick seven years out. So their 2031 pick would be frozen in almost all certain. Then that would probably happen as well that their 2032 pick would be frozen if they're in the second apron both those years. But you can then cleanse by being out three of the next four years. So they're in 24-25, right? They're in 25-26. So now that's one year after 24-25. They would then need to be out of the second apron the next three years after that. And if they do that, then their pick would avoid automatically having to go to the end of the first round in 2031 and same in 2032. So basically the way you can get away with it to maximize your time in the second apron over any given five-year period is two years in, then three years out. And that's how you're able to uh, avoid and they just get they just get a bonus year in the beginning because the restrictions haven't kicked in. Yeah, so I don't think that this like idea that they're totally spending like spending like drunken sailors that they're, they're destined to lose these picks. That's uh, without making a move. No, that's not really true. And then the other thing to remember too is that you can it only gets calculated for the draft freeze draft pick freezing purposes at the end of that year. So you can even get out by the end of a given year. And also in the twenty five twenty six season could just be obvious it's not working at that point. They could just completely blow it up move kd move Aiton if they even if they need to like stretch oh. Aiton or something but 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 nate how could a team it. especially a team with kevin durant change course so quickly and get out of get out of the second apron or get out of the tax entirely it's not possible <laughs> though i will note it's going to be harder to shed salary in season not that these have to be in season under the current rules just because of the way the salary floor works so there are going to be fewer ways this is more just a note in general for teams right. to shed salary in season. That that is going to be harder in the in the off season. Still totally possible. Yeah, absolutely. And also, so this will be and their next time that they can use any kind of an asset to make a deal is next off season with their twenty four first rounder. Uh, and they would all they'll also have a twenty thirty swap should should they need to do that. So this is they are definitely all in. I think people are just freaked out at how ridiculously all in they were. But that was already the case with Katie. Like this. It's, 
to me, this is not a significant change in how all in they are. Certainly, it complica- complicates something. The other thing we don't know yet is whether Beal is going to waive his no trade clause as it would apply to any future trades with the Suns as a condition of doing this deal. He doesn't have to do that, but maybe he would. Uh, and and it could even be like a I, soft. Yeah. It could even be a soft power situation where like there's no formal thing, but he's like kind of tells them, yeah. "Hey, well, yeah." And it's just like because you know, what if he suffers a career-ending injury or you know something like that, where it's just like, uh, or just the team is totally has to be blown up, whatever. So yeah, really nice work by Bradley Beal here. Uh, I think would he have had a better chance of winning a championship if he went to Miami? I think so. I'm not sure, actually, just because I don't, other than Denver, there isn't really like another monster in the West, right? right? I just like, think I mean, the they're, Heat, they're I just going think to there, be. There was an iteration of the Heat that was a better overall team than what I expect the Suns to yeah. be, personally. But you still got to deal with probably Philly, Milwaukee, and Boston. Like those teams, I mean, unless Harden leaves, are probably not going anywhere the next couple of years. They also, the Heat would have had to give up a lot more in a trade, too. Uh, and I guess we, we can kind of talk about that that whole thing from people. Like, yeah, let's, let's make it from Beal's perspective here too I think to engineer this trade maybe it helped that uh Mark Barlstein's son is now the CEO of the Suns <laughs> that's a, a nice little tidbit there but he had been working for the Pistons before that so yeah maybe he would have a better chance in Miami but to get to a Phoenix team that really didn't have to give up anything of consequence on the floor to just join Booker and KD I mean that's a pretty goddamn good trio it's not at the level of that nets trio i would say but it's one of the better ones that we've seen for sure so i i think this was for and for teams that like are ready to win now that were willing to pay him i think he did pretty well and also he was able to because they didn't have any assets he was able to use the leverage of the no trade clause to get himself there and not be in the situation where that team was giving up so much that they would have been limited in what they could do going forward yeah at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. At the bare minimum, thinking that this the Suns post trade and are better than the Heat post trade is defensible. At bare minimum, like I, I think it's you know it's, it's close to six and one half dozen the other. I just think the talent makes more sense in Miami. I also think they've been well coached and well run. The other big question I don't know if Beal considered this at all is that we're pretty sure that Matt Ishbia is going to is willing to pay that kind of money. But Miami, if they had done a Beal trade, honestly, whether it involved Tyler Hero or not, they would have been very expensive kind of startlingly expensive over the next few years you know butler has guaranteed years then he might even want more than that and then you have bam and mickey harrison like they're we're let i am less confident that mickey harrison is going to spend over the next four years than i am matishbia and so the idea of whether the team would get broken up also the sun's core well bam's younger than those guys oh well actually booker's booker and bam are both young um but yeah i mean you could you could make it work in a bunch of different directions 
And so, so from you know, from Beal's perspective, it is at bare minimum completely defensible. I, it's very possible that he's a hundred percent right that that's a better overall situation to be in. Maybe he'd rather well, and, be. In and Phoenix. also, his wife apparently is, is from the L.A. area and just sure. generally wanted to be there. In Phoenix. Oh, yeah, we didn't and, mention too from Josh Robbins that uh, Jordan Goodwin, who I actually like uh, as and I think could have an interesting role with this Phoenix team. We'll see. I mean, you never know a guy at his experience level having to kind of play it on a wizard team that wasn't doing much last year but he's a rugged defensive guard not a great jump shooter but maybe can make some open spot ups uh he's apparently going to be included in this deal as well Well, and, and that's a natural segue into the first the note that we don't know the exact terms of the deal we've talked about it in the context of the picks but there could also be players moving around and that the other big wrinkle there is chris paul and so by my basic calculations and, and goodwin's addition potentially in the trade actually changes this this the suns in order to satisfy the matching salary rules need to guarantee more of chris paul's salary roughly 25 million that number changes based on who else is involved in the deal one way or the other um but they need to do that in order to satisfy it because of the way that the league calculates it when a player is going from you know so chris paul he's fully guaranteed for the current league year but he's partially guaranteed for next year you can't just game that system and just be like oh well we're trading you this fake money for your real money like they wanted to take that out so like they so they have to do that for Chris Paul. So congratulations, Chris Paul. You're making more money. We don't know exactly how much. Um, but so there's that component of it, of that we don't know exactly the terms of the trade. We don't know how much Chris Paul's contract is getting guaranteed. But then there's also the subsequent reporting from Woj and from Chris Haynes that depending, Chris Paul needs to make a decision in terms of whether he wants to be a wizard or wants to be somewhere else, that the trade could also change forms by adding a third team. And as John Hollinger noted astutely, the wizards could benefit from the structure restructuring of this trade because they could, if Chris Paul gets rerouted, depending on what all is going each direction, they could generate a larger trade exception whether or not they use it. Yeah, it would I would assume that Phoenix wouldn't love it if Chris Paul ended up uh, with one of the LA teams, which is probably where he would like to be. Chris Haynes reported that uh, the Clippers are interested in adding Chris Paul, but I'm sure Phoenix, to get this deal done, just agreed essentially that, hey, if you are going to add a third team Washington, go ahead, we'll play ball with you uh, to get that done. That's usually the way it works there was also a chance that that paul could join either of those teams by getting waived by you know a potential other chris paul destination and then he'd probably be doing so at the minimum rather than potentially at his full contract yeah that that makes sense and we'll see uh, i mean if he's going to get as much as 25 million or more of this contract guaranteed with washington anyway at that point then it would be more about probably a buyout discussion now michael winger could say hey chris like we know you can still play we'd rather just send you home until the trade deadline we'll move you for some terrible salary and hopefully pick up some an asset at the deadline if the right move doesn't present itself but we'll see whether they're willing to do that with chris paul they initially said that they want chris paul to play for them but that they might work with him if he doesn't want to be there which uh i'm gonna go ahead and guess he's not too interested in that he's gonna channel Uh, his former son eric bledsoe (laughs) so the next inflection point is Kristaps porzingis now and the his 36 million dollar player option which it's kind of starting to feel like he might pick up that decision is due on wednesday the day before the draft and if he does opt in then presumably he will instantly be on the trade block and i'm sure that his agent is already working to find places that might be willing to take him and possibly extend him as we noted before talking about Porzingis that a team acquiring
having him uh, because he doesn't have the market here to get more than his player option will certainly have the ammo to give him an extension in conjunction with the trade uh, that he would accept um uh, and then of course Kyle Kuzma who will opt out maybe there will be sign and trade possibilities there also but it seems like Washington this is reported by David Aldridge said we just we want to get out of the Bradley Beal business and have our financial flexibility available for next offseason when they basically have absolutely nothing on the books uh, as much cap space as you could possibly want if you were the Wizards throw out the whole oh we got to be loyal to Bradley Beal do him a solid like I, I it's a sort of a that's what the money is for thing like if you're gonna have this no trade clause and we paid you the 35 percent max when you're not worth that to kind of stick around now maybe they feel like bradley beal signed up for trying to compete here and they owe it to him because they changed the deal that they're not trying to compete anymore but some of the reporting has indicated that beal was in agreement that there wasn't really a path for washington to uh get into the type of contention that would actually matter although i could have told them that four years ago as we'll talk about i'm sure but let me ask you this danny rather than taking this deal forget about beal's wishes or any of that stuff would you have said you know what this is just too shitty of a deal if this is all you're going to accept bradley like we will just send you home try to preserve you as an asset and see if we can come up with something else that you'll accept later or do you just say hey like this is a ticking time bomb both in terms of him being willing to go and possibly getting hurt or declining again let's just count our chickens now uh and let this guy go even though the returns are i am firmly on team time bomb here and the not only because bradley beal is owed a ton of money over time but because of the no trade cost and to me this is the in some ways the final but in many ways the greatest sin of the tommy shepherd ted leonsis era is simultaneously giving bradley beal a max contract and a no trade cost is that it guaranteed they were going to get a relatively modest return for him so it's not a situation where player x you know we've brought up jordan Poole for this or you know maybe at, at different points you could point to various players and they're going to recoup their value because Bradley Beal could just say no. And there is a distinct chance that they maybe could have gotten more in terms of draft assets or something from the Miami Heat, but you run way too big a risk. And Washington can't change course immediately, but they can change course pretty quickly. And I see because of the no trade, I see almost no upside further than this. And I see immense downside and few teams know how badly and how quickly a big contract can turn quite like the Wizards because and once you get there it's very hard to turn back and so so I think that it is not a perfect trade and also like I think that this could look rosier for the Wizards depending on what the like what the swap is and some of the other stuff but no I absolutely as the Wizards you know you hope that you could get more from the Suns or ideally Beal is interested in a team that has more of a capacity and they offer some of that capacity, but you were never going to get a Drew Holiday return. You were never going to get that because he had no trace clause. I've made the argument before, most often with John, in some of these, like Zion was one of these, Kyrie, I kind of feel this way about it now with the Mavs, even though Kyrie may not have any other suitors right now. I guess we'll, we can talk more about that later. But of the idea of, hey, you know what? Just pay the guy because if it doesn't work out, then you know it doesn't really matter that much that you have this albatross on your books. But two facts 
factors make me feel differently i guess i should say three i mean the first one is i mean five years still four more years coming up and then that it's also 35 percent of the salary cap if either of those things weren't the case if we we're talking about a four-year max we're we talking about the 25 percent max like with zion and only had three years left i'd be like you know what okay let's let's hold off here and maybe bradley beal will be like fuck i'm sick and not playing at all because you know you could just kind of play him some shut him down you know still do your tanking if you want which they uh think think they're probably gonna do but then there's the possibility too that he could just grow so toxic that he couldn't be moved at all that he couldn't even be moved in like a total dump if they wanted to make some other sort of a play right if they if they wanted to just take on even worse salary than him at some later point but from a a team that he didn't want to be at that it could get scuttled so yeah i think ultimately you're correct that a the benefit of waiting and quote-unquote getting a better deal i mean what were they going to get maybe like another first or like maybe two first but from a team that's gonna be pretty good and the downside well, you, you, you know what they're totally gonna get that's even better than those potential firsts their own first in 2024 right yeah well yeah we'll see about that draft it's a bad draft um but yeah and then also another thing that i think is important here too is that ted leonsis michael winger like part of the idea was we're gonna make washington into a destination at some point i think uh <laughs> it's gonna take a few years before that happens but you don't do that by pissing a guy off sending him home just making it look like a shit show having constant drama about whether he's going to get traded just resolve the situation as fast as you can and just move into this new era of wizards basketball it's so interesting to me by the way on no trades i think this this might be the last no trade we're going to for a while <laughs> given how this turned out and how carmelo's turned out that and i'll credit even you know the warriors for example with like steph and clay guys who've been here forever that they resisted giving up no trades to them even when they were free agents and would have been eligible for them and i think the reason these no trades work out so badly it's because you only have to give them when it's required in theory to convince the guy to stay so you've got this situation where maybe the guy's not that good he's not even necessarily sure you want to be there okay like uh, you know for like steph curry in 2017 nah, he was never gonna leave right like it's a great situation they they just had won the championship right so you can you can get away with not giving him the no trade bradley beal carmelo anthony in 2014 okay you got to give him the no trade because oh he might leave otherwise but if your situation was better you wouldn't have to give him the no trade but if your situation was better then you wouldn't have to trade him so you're hamstringing yourself from trading him in a situation where you're more likely to need to have to trade him one note i was bringing up the wizards draft situation they hilariously they owe a first round pick to the to the knicks that is top 12 protected in 24 top 10 protected in 25 and top 8 protected in 26 and then it would become two seconds they owe no firsts beyond that juncture and that's the risk that you run getting these like protected fake seconds is i mean there of course there's a chance the wizards can be much better than this they could even you know they could make the playoffs this year but the reason i'm always super low on these is you don't get the value of the you know like the the upside of like a top 10 pick in this case or you know whatever but you also have a risk of it becoming almost nothing and you wait a long time and so there are the flexibility risks for the wizards but it's like i've i've broadly always hated these picks and thought that at times teams overvalue them it's like oh we got it first this is a great example of why i don't like them as the as the knicks in this case not as the wizards the wizards i mean i don't like doing this from 
from a different perspective there. Yeah, and recall that the the way this pick got to the Knicks was it initially went to Houston in the John Wall for Russell Westbrook trade. It's basically the mm-hmm. consideration going back. And I mean, I think in that case, just from respect from Houston's perspective and, and Washington's perspective, like it worked out the way it should. Right? The idea is, yeah, you know what? If the, if this Russell Westbrook trade works really well and we we're making the playoffs, then yeah, then it worked, and we'll give you a first. If we're not making the playoffs as a result of this deal, then the trade didn't work. The guy wasn't worth that much. It's as close as you can get to those NFL style contingent draft picks, basically. So I think it was fine in the initial transaction, but I do agree with you that the New York Knicks acquiring that pick now i guess for the next two you might say well hey they're always going to try to win every year right so uh, the, the fact that they would make this this kind of a transition after yeah be- betting on the wizards years. being a low-end playoff team is a pretty smart bet overall but i guess there's also no chance that the Wizards were going to blow past that and be solidly into the playoffs in a given year i mean that's pretty crazy that the wizards have been trying all out to make the playoffs and they've missed it in four of the last five years and they haven't been over 500 since then but uh, again maybe they should have traded him in 2019 should have traded him in 2020 maybe they should have traded him in 2021 it's just uh yeah pre- pretty remarkable that and tommy shepherd's got to be sitting here thinking like now you decide to do this ted like you, you now maybe to- maybe tommy felt like you know he was been there since the early 2000s under grunfeld and i haven't talked to him about this but maybe he felt like hey ernie grunfeld had this job for 18 years under two owners chasing after the ac doing what the owner wanted now ernie grunfeld at least succeeded a few times <laughs> which Shepard wasn't necessarily able to do. And then his drafting record killed him, obviously. I mean, that was that was probably even a bigger part of it than the philosophy thing. But it still must be annoying for him because I'm sure he knew in his heart of hearts that this, their philosophy was the wrong one, but he just was following following his owner's edicts and now uh michael winger has come in and he's got this carte blanche to remake things what else we need to talk about here we'll have to see the subsequent effects of this from washington's perspective is this a full teardown do we see guys like monte morris go in a different direction i there was I what you know when people were talking about Beal concepts earlier on, one of them involved Monte Morris going back to the Suns. I would have actually liked that, but this construction it wouldn't have made sense because the matching salary would have been primitive. That was a CP plus Aiton structure, but maybe Monte Morris finds it. Maybe I mean, he has one year left. Maybe you just keep him around unless somebody bulls you over with an offer. Uh, I mean, the other thing too is that Washington, assuming that they move on from Porzingis, I mean they're and they don't re-sign Kuzma. I mean maybe they end up doing that just as possible if if the those guys just don't have that great of offers and they can move those guys but uh later in the season but they're really the only team as of now we'll see you could, this can change in transactions and yeah it's not a quote-unquote good draft in 24 but the wizards are really the only team that would appear right now to be headed towards the bottom and so they should be assuring themselves with top five pick think or pretty darn close to it a couple other things to round up here the heat were the other team that was in theory involved chris haynes reported shortly after this deal went down that they are really hoping that Damian Lillard is going to ask for a trade. Now, Brooklyn cannot bid Miami, certainly. Do they want to? Eh, that's an interesting question. And if Lillard says, I want to go to Miami instead of Brooklyn, does Portland just agree to that, even if the deals aren't quite equal? Or does is Dame still going to stay there? But we're going to find out 
uh, as soon as this draft, I think of what direction that may go. If Portland decides we're just, we don't have a deal that's going to get us better. It makes sense to just take the best player available. Oh, by the way, that's also a point guard potentially. Well, and, so. and one other quick note, this is a completely non-precedent sending trade because of the no trade clause. So there isn't going to, this isn't a reset that star trades are going to be lower return or anything like that. It's, it's an anomaly for a reason. I do think we're going to see a correction to be sure. The, the Agreed, KD but not because trade of this trade. Gobert trades. Like th- those are the high watermarks here, particularly because I think we're going to start to see more of these trades have, seeing a downside to them. Oh, here's a very quick, I don't want to do Watfo or anything on it. Between now and October 15th, is Bradley Beal the best player that gets traded? Now on October 15th? Yeah, so basically before the season starts. And the only one that I see is clearly better is Lillard. If Siakam gets traded, I think a lot of people would say he's better than Lillard yeah I mean Beal has or, made oh, sorry better than Beal but not that it's yeah. gospel but Beal has made one all-NBA team in his career and it was a third team back in 2020 slash 21 yeah although it's a lot harder to make it a guard than forward it is um so yeah we don't know how well Brad- Bradley Beal is gonna play either I, I I feel like he's actually gonna be pretty good I, I guess I'm maybe too much of an optimist uh, on that compared for a, a lot of people's taste at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See what else we got to talk about here. I think that's everything that I had on this trade, which is good because we've been talking for like what else we need to hit on news wise. We have a new owner and an important potential team valuation in Charlotte where Michael Jordan is selling his majority stake. He's still going to be a minority owner to the to a, a collective that includes um do you remember their first name? Is Gabe Plotkin? Gabe Plotkin and Rick Schnall. Those are two great names, let me tell you. Plotkin, I'll always remember because there's this kid named Nate Plotkin who I played soccer with growing up. And my mom, like, knew his parents or something. And so she always assumed that I was friends with him, but not the common friends at all. But I always remember Nate Plotkin. He was, he was the other Nate. Of course, at that time, it annoyed me that even one other person in the world could have the same name as me as a seven-year-old. It's unfortunate uh, yeah. neither of you a sport but that's okay (laughs) so yeah uh and three billion dollar valuation important to note that when a when you buy only part of the team but you acquire majority control that probably leads to an inflated quote-unquote valuation because the remainder minority ownership you don't get control it's just kind of kind of just fun so you bought the best part so the per the per unit should be higher right so this isn't necessarily to say that if the entire hornet sold it would be for three billion dollars but that's still pretty damn good considering phoenix just went for four and they were a good team and a good market i think getting this three billion dollar valuation is pretty darn good and they're supposed to invest more in the team of course michael jordan is still uh bringing brandon miller and scoot henderson in for workouts uh, on monday because he wasn't there for the first workout so well and and the story the story that at least that we're hearing now is that he's retaining control like until the until july 1st i mean we don't know how true that is but that's it's notable at the bare minimum. I'm sure that they could exert some influence should they choose to do so. I would imagine that Mitch Kupchak is not going to be long for this job. He's he's 
didn't have the greatest resume to get hired again and probably isn't making that much and he's older as well and it hasn't done a particularly outstanding job be interesting to see what Plotkin and Schnall think about potentially making a big commitment to Miles Bridges that's a nice little conundrum to have to deal with right as you come in to your ownership to give out a big money contract to to him but they have the number two pick they've got Lamella like this is a team that should be able to at least make it into like semi-playoff contention for the next few years if they're well managed and like Charlotte is considered a small market etc like that that's actually I think that this team could be a lot better than it's been it's always the case when you have one of the worst owners I don't know if I would have had Michael Jordan as the worst owner but certainly bottom five so pretty likely that this is only gonna go up uh, at least a little bit here for Charlotte fans so they should be pretty happy and maybe someday we'll do a recap of some of Michael Jordan's lowlights not trading Kemba Walker ever and then just letting him go in free agency although that at that time it actually was the right move to not resign him but that and trying for the eighth seed every year so so funny that that's Michael Jordan's legacy when he was like the most ultra competitive player and that was the only only winning a championship every year was good enough and he had to win every drill and all this shit and it's like oh you're just trying to make the eighth seed that's that's what your goal is as, as a franchise Mike Scotto uh, wrote a pretty good piece uh, talking about some of the valuations mostly talking to other executives so your mileage may vary on this so some of these possible valuations and expectations I am not sure I agree with although he, these people and the people he's on and Scott himself are better sourced than I am and some of this could just be contracts that we're going to hate we can start with uh what he th- uh these executives believe Nikola Vucevic is free agent value yeah uh and so the belief is that Vuce will resign with the Bulls something that I also agree will happen when you consider Arturis brought him there and the theory hasn't really changed too much even if the results have not been what we all wanted three years 65 million that is significantly more than I would give Vooch but that they're not they're not trying to sell me on this yeah I think a couple years it's slightly above the mid-level hard for me to believe that he would have offers much uh, above that and there's also a discussion of the optics that losing Vucevic now after everything that they gave up which is going to include the 11th pick in this draft that the, uh, retaining Vucevic and at least pretending that the deal worked uh, would be important but paying him 20 million particularly when that's going to be an opportunity cost because they won't be paying the tax for potentially using the full mid-level that's uh, would be disappointing Dallas a lot of noise out of there Mark Stein noting after Phoenix obtained Bradley Beal that that was supposedly one of the suitors for Kyrie with the Lakers being the other the Lakers apparently as of this point don't have much interest in Kyrie and so maybe the Rockets he was saying might but he's probably third on their list behind Harden and Van Vliet so uh, yeah this but they also they need to pay Kyrie enough that he's gonna be happy there because uh yeah you don't don't want him unhappy so this this incredible game of chicken between Kyrie and the Mavs is gonna be absolutely fascinating to watch I wonder if there is a a deal gets agreed on right away or we're gonna get a few days of leaks and oh he might actually leave for the and then supposedly they're also interested in Harrison Barnes now probably they're not going to have access to the full mid-level unless Kyrie were to leave of course and so I'm not sure how they're going to have the scratch to bring back Barnes certainly trading Barnes was a, a pretty big mistake by them in 2019 right about the same time they traded for Chris Porzingis, remember that and they also have interest in Grant Williams again that's a sign and trade for why does Boston well, want to do that what's and, the asset going to Boston I don't and, and also dep- 
depending on how things go, Dallas, that would hard cap them. And Dallas might not be able to be hard capped depending on where things go. So they can have an interest. That's totally fine. Um, we talked about it a little bit when we did Houston's offseason preview, but they are interested in Brook Lopez reportedly competing with the Milwaukee Bucks for him. We will have to see how those negotiations go in terms of not only what each side is willing to pay, but what Lopez values in the twilight of his career. But I mean, player that was firmly in the defensive player of the year conversation. And for Milwaukee, the executive Scotto spoke to project that Chris Middleton could command a four year, $130 million contract. So that's what, 32 million a year for four years? Four years is a lot for a 31 year old. But the, the Milwaukee Bucks, that will at least give them. Nine million in extra breathing space, depending on what they can get Lopez back for. They they might have access to some exception money there uh, as well. But that's when you have a forty point four million dollar player option, then and the team desperately needs some salary relief. You can maybe get those four years. Perhaps there'll be team option, non guaranteed, something like that too. And again, we'll see whether this actually turns out to be right or not. But that, particularly for a guy who spent all last year injured, it would seem like he wouldn't have that much leverage. But maybe that they still can't lose him for nothing. They were hoping to get on that deal. That was never going to happen. And so they don't really have any option other than bringing him back. They can't really make a trade. So there you go. Scotto also reported that there are numerous suitors for Fred Van Vliet, a group that includes the Toronto Raptors. They, the executives expect Van Vliet to get 30 million or more annually, though it is important to note that a couple of the teams on that potential suitor list, including the Lakers and obviously now the Suns, who presumably are out after the Bradley Beal trade. And also, I thought the Suns were a completely unrealistic Van Vliet suitor anyway, because it would have had to have been an opt-in and trade because the salary matching and sign trade and all that stuff um, don't necessarily have that kind of scratch. The Rockets do, the Magic do, the Raptors do because they have full bird rights, but it, it could it could dry up a little bit. It might not. We'll have to see. And yeah, and, qu- is- and quickly for Van Vliet, thirty million plus annually. Lakers, in terms of their cap space, can get into the high twenties, so that wouldn't quite be at that level. But they could also possibly do a sign and trade with Beasley and Bamba. Of course, that would also hard cap the Lakers. So they, I would actually recommend if they could just and then see if they could get Rui Hachimura back on, on that room exception on a one plus one with a a wink, wink. We'll take care of you later type of deal. Uh, you know, that would probably be my number one approach approach as the Lakers and Rockets that'll be fascinating that seems like maybe a backup plan for Harden don't really care for Van Vliet there but I like him better than Harden he still is 29 and the Suns are are out Magic that's that's an interesting one really interesting one for for them I like his fit there but again you'd say is this a little early for them to be using up their cap space they have a couple years left before they really would have other significant contracts on the books the NBA finals are done so we got the final adjudication for John Morant and the punishment for this issue is 25 games that is a of course a significant punishment and the their determination was that Morant knew he was being live streamed and showed a real gun which is significant because though it was significantly after the fact Morant's camp claimed that it was a fake gun and that that assertion was rejected by the NBA yeah I mean I, I don't know how hard they whether they actually made that assertion of the NBA I thought there was like some stuff floating around on that that wasn't from any of the sources that I particularly trust 
that I can't recall exactly come from point. But now, 25 games for flashing a gun. If you compare that to the other stuff that has happened that guys have gotten suspended for and the length of those suspensions, not really fair, I would say, honestly, to John Morant, despite the fact that this was reckless conduct. But let's not forget, if it's on video, that's what gets you. If it gets spread around, that's that's what gets you. If you embarrassed Adam Silver by expressing contrition and then go ahead and doing this in a extremely reckless way like quite honestly i bet you he would have it's possible he might have gotten fewer games if there were allegations that he just flashed a gun at someone that were substantiated or pointed a gun at someone in a, a possible assault assault being just that you make them fear that they are uh going to experience a battery uh at least under the tort law that i learned oh god that's 19 years ago sure my memory on it's perfect so if he had done that but there was no video maybe this even would have been less but the fact that there's video that there's an embarrassment factor that it's that public that everyone can see what he did i mean it's the same thing on honestly with miles bridges and the fact that those photos came out on social media where if it hadn't been the case then there wouldn't be this outcry and certainly you would have to say that what bridges did is worse than at least the two things that morant has done at least that have garnered a suspension there's some other stuff that supposedly isn't part of this but this is about what would have been expected and we'll see the nba players association has 30 days to appeal this well i'll note the appeal comes from morant but it seems like the players association would want him to but technically morant is the one who filed who has the decision on filing the appeal yeah and he had another very well crafted i mean these are two of the better apology statements that i've read but (laughs) that ultimately doesn't mean too much uh and at least in terms of the statement some of the interviews that he had were perhaps less contrite after this uh, initial incident so he's gonna have these conditions to come back he's gonna have to come up with some plan i guess and that's part of what the players association is objecting to that there are not objective conditions now the nba got away with this or the nets got away with this with Kyrie also and so i think having the player come up with something that they're invested in is maybe something that it can help in these circumstances but i'm guessing that this is not necessarily going to get reduced the league really wanted to come down hard on him they embarrassed the league and he clearly has an issue as well i think that's the other thing is it's just you and i talked about this you kept saying well hey if this doesn't happen again it'll just be a footnote to his legacy right and you're i think you're correct about that it would have been not now but there still was another buffer zone right now it's the 25 game if it happens again now the margin for error is over right if this happens again it's gonna be okay this guy just can't be our franchise centerpiece anymore he can't be an all-star he's it's just he's gonna get suspended for a whole year so now it's like and particularly because he now did it a second time too and so you're like wow he has no self-control and now he's truly on the precipice like that's the greatest thing that concerns me isn't even that he's going to miss these 25 games it's that he's clearly crazier than we thought and he's one step closer to the precipice and doesn't have any further steps before he falls off the edge. We knew the consequences for any subsequent action were going to be severe and whether how much that factored into Morant's thinking when all this happened, it's unclear and we'll probably never know, but has to be even clear to him. And it's not even just the NBA, it's sponsors and everything else. His overall financial livelihood could be in danger. I hope that, you know, he gets whatever help he needs. Um, One element of this from a financial perspective that's that's notable is that because this suspension, you know, unless it gets reduced on appeal, um, appeal is filed and is successful. um, The fine is it's one one hundred and tenth of his salary for next year, which is, of course, a significant salary where he because he's now going to be on this extension. 
now making $33.5 million, roughly. So it, it's going to cost Morant about $7.5 $7 million. And the Grizzlies actually get a small, they get about half of that taken off their books for salary cap and luxury tax purposes. Whether that actually matters to them or not is, is unclear, but it is something to note. Yeah, ironically, it would be of greater import if they were actually trying to re-sign Dylan Brooks. Sure. But now, essentially, what they can do is they can use the full mid-level, and then I think this makes it more likely, too, that we'll see an opt-out of the team option of Xavier Tillman and something along the lines like what Jay Sean Tate did with the Rockets last year where they're giving him new money that he wasn't necessarily entitled to. He'll still be a restricted free agent, but it doesn't really cost them anything other than just straight profits. Now, that extra $7 million, that could basically just go into, like, Xavier tillman's pocket and then make any future years on his deal cheaper you know they could decline a, a deal by eight percent going forward so that might give them a little more flexibility there as well uh what else we got here the golden state warriors do not have a new president of basketball operations but they do have a new general manager that is the title uh, mike dunleavy jr has received he has been a part of the warriors front office for a while now has been a voice in the room but now he is going to be at least the lead voice from a personnel perspective joe lakeup's voice will probably carry a lot more now with bob myers no longer with the organization so the power structure in golden state is going to be an open question and i mean but dunleavy will definitely have a lot of power there and there are a number of big decisions to make yeah interesting that dunleavy general manager not president of basketball operations not necessarily a huge surprise there but dunleavy i'm guessing comes a little cheaper than the 10 to 15 million that they probably would have had budgeted for bob myers does that change joe lakeup's calculation in terms of whether he's willing to pay an enormous luxury tax bill next season eh, it's a possibility uh there's also reporting from mike scotto that dante divincenzo is expected to opt out of his 4.7 million dollar player option and he's going to be too expensive for the warriors to re-sign in free agency which i think that's that's not a huge surprise divincenzo i thought was really good for them last year but uh, they'll have to hope that moses moody can step into that spot a little bit more because uh, i i do think divincenzo should have better offers than that uh, also note that there's a lot of interest in Jonathan Kaminga around the league and this is an interesting situation certainly there's a risk in moving Kaminga he's very talented but he's also on a pretty good team and he hasn't had any impact in the playoffs the first two years I think he's going to be pretty good I would be interested to see I don't think he's like a future super duper star though I don't think he's a guy who's going to be who's so good that he's going to be a top two player on the Warriors years from now that he would be a pillar of their next era and there's also risk in not moving him I talked about this with Patrick Williams last offseason now Patrick Williams trade value is a lot lower than it was it doesn't look like it whatever star equity he might have had in everyone's eyes after a pretty mediocre season with a, a few mild steps forward like if Jonathan Kaminga is just all right he's the backup power forward again and you know, he's maybe in the rotation a little bit in Golden State in the playoffs they flame out if things go poorly or whatever and now you've wasted that season like Jonathan Kaminga I don't think is going to play well enough to, and maybe you will but he's a, probably a better bet than a better bet to not contribute at a super high level in the playoffs than he is to be that. So there is a risk in not moving him now, both that you just won't be good enough and he's not going to contribute this year, and also that his trade value could actually go down. As our friend and colleague Dan Feldman says, the status quo is a choice too. Then the last piece of news we have is that, again, the status quo being a choice, the Clippers looks like the Clippers and Ty Lue are not going to agree to any sort of an extension. Lou does have this year under contract. And then I believe from what we know, he has a team option 
for the 24-25 season. And well, that from, apparently from, was guaranteed now. Oh, okay. And so that that provides some clarity. And the other big part of this for me with Lou is that there are not going to be there could be similar levels of jobs opening up in future years, but the volume and quality of the jobs that ended up becoming available this year, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Philly, and so on and so forth. Like if if that wasn't enough to move him, then he might be a Clippers coach for a while. And apparently there is some interest in Phoenix, but they just didn't have any assets that they could provide the Clippers. And he's under contract for two more years. And this is this is the make or break season, I would say. Now there's Kawhi PG probably going to be coming in asking for an extension. And maybe this because there's Chris Haynes reporting was kind of indicating that like, oh, things could come to a head after next year. Now he is still under contract for another year. As far as I can tell, that would be the fifth year. But at that point, maybe he has enough leverage to possibly force a move or just the whole Clippers team is going in a totally different direction, which again, seems so crazy. We talked about their offseason extensively and that they're moving into the Intuit Dome and that they have George and Leonard up for extensions, but they're old and they don't play and or can't play more accurately than don't play. So I think this is maybe this is an indicator if they're not going to extend Lou, that maybe they're also not going to extend George and Leonard, at least not right away. And we'll just kind of see what happens after this year i think that's probably the way i would try to play it out as the clippers at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, well, now that we did all that, we still got a little draft to talk about here. Uh, You want to talk Taylor Hendricks or Grady Dick first? Let's do Taylor Hendricks and um, a little bit about his bio, somebody that I had not been familiar with before this process. Hendricks grew up in Fort Lauderdale, um, actually played at his first high school with Scotty Barnes, uh, Jet and Jace Howard, and Vernon Carey Jr., then transferred to a different high school. Um, Four-star recruit who chose UCF over the bigger Florida schools and was their highest-ranked recruit ever, which I think it has some important impacts in the film for Hendricks as well. I just find this interesting. He has a twin brother who also played at UCF, but it's not the level prospect. They're fraternal, not identical from what I could tell. And Taylor Hendricks was second team all ACC, but did not win freshman of the year. Kyle, Kyle Filipowski of Duke did just something I found interesting, but the measurements are part of the story. Taylor Hendricks, six, and these are from the combine, six foot, eight and a quarter without shoes. So you can round that up to roughly six ten. We I like to give an inch and a half as the estimate there. 214 pounds with a little bit over a seven foot wingspan, 811 standing reach. So those basic measurements are pretty close to Jalen Johnson, the Hawks, Jalen Johnson and Jalen McDaniels, though he's Jalen McDaniels with an extra 20 pounds, which is significant. We'll talk about that in a bit. And Hendricks, he's 19 now, but his rookie year will be his age 20 season. Yeah, so pretty much very solid power forward size, particularly that 811 standing reach. That's even almost center size. A good standing reach for a center is like a 9293, uh, but there are some centers who are at that level. And the 7 1 wingspan, good, not absolutely elite, but certainly totally solid there. 214 pounds, you know, that's not huge. You know, he is kind of narrow of shoulder and arm, 
So I don't know how much more he's going to be able to put on necessarily if you really wanted to bang. I'm not sure that other than in just a few lineups that he can is going to hold up well enough physically at the center position. It's a little undersized there in terms of height, standing reach as well. Guy's got a lot of bounce though, and it's quick bounce, particularly off of two feet. You see it in the shot blocking. You see it in his ability to pick the ball up in a scrum under the basket, get up and dunk it quickly. Definitely surprise guys with how quickly he gets off the ground. Not as good of a one foot leaper but certainly in terms of his two foot leaping maybe he's not getting up the absolute highest but he's getting off the ground fast and uh, had a bunch of dunks over 30 dunks on the season what do you average like almost two blocks a game 1.7 so just under that yeah yeah uh, but you know some of the film on the shot blocking is pretty good in terms of first step not amazing you know not really able to get separation with that off the dribble a, a lot of, when he would drive which wasn't a major part of his game a lot of get cut off spin back to the left shoulder type of moves and running the floor in a straight line definitely runs the floor hard pretty good in transition how did you feel about his lateral movement i think that's going to be a key question there were times where it actually looked pretty good where he could stay with guards reasonably well like better than i expected i guess is the way i would describe it yeah there were times that he would i thought actually looked better when he really tried to get deep into a stance the more he pressured actually i thought he that raised his intensity level and he was able to actually like make plays cutting guys off uh, pretty well uh, force them to change direction there are other times in isolation where he'd kind of back off go for a little bit more of a contain and he's got enough length to play it that way but then he would be more often to kind of get his hips turned let guys pass so now he's still uh, able to contest uh, well enough with those long arms that he could still make plays in the in those situations uh and then defending in the post in terms of his strength the numbers were like unbelievable 0.4 points per possession a lot of that though were just logged as post-ups where the other team double teamed uh and you know i thought he was able to still contest pretty well in the post i thought he fought pretty well was it yeah, had enough heft to box out like he wasn't getting overwhelmed physically at the college level despite the fact that he doesn't have a huge number next to the weight uh so i definitely like i think an above average type of athlete uh, at the power forward position uh, so uh, a big part of the appeal for sure it is and unlike some of the kind of players in this range to me Hendricks his game kind of makes sense at a, at a single NBA position that is power forward and some may see that as a downside I don't I, I think that he defend I like my favorite part of Hendricks defense yeah he had some intrigue as a, as a switch guy and and potentially as like a straight up rim protector but my favorite part of his defensive film was as a help player and typically the guy with help responsibilities the, be- the best one there is power forward I think that Hendricks his athleticism his length works better there at the four than at the five if he, if he you know adds bulk without losing athleticism maybe he can play five maybe more as a second unit guy and then he can do some switching but i don't think it's i, I don't think he's going to be guarding threes all the time or anything like that but yeah how I, that- I would i don't think that he'll be it's kind of up in the air to me how good he's going to be switching particularly on the guys who have elite quickness uh i don't think he's going to be a guy who's going to guard threes in a conventional pick and roll defense getting over screens i think he's going to be Same. getting more switching on to guys which you know that's kind of part of the job description for a, a modern day power forward there, there are also elements of uh, other elements of Hendricks' defense game that I think work well. There, there was like it was off ball and like saw a pass 
path and stretched and got a deflection. And and one of the notes I had in there when I was watching specifically defensive film is that Hendricks, he's more of a finesse defender. And that actually works pretty well at the four because if but it can be poor at the five depending on who your defensive matchup is. So I think that I think that fits well. And he can actually do, I mean you could put Hendricks on a non-shooter, sure. You could that'd be useful. But also a secondary ball handler, maybe not on this this iteration of the Suns, but on other teams. Like I think he could do a reasonable enough job that, uh, there. And so those sorts of a matchup where it's like a guy who's not going to kill you, but can can do something. Maybe you don't want him to chase you know chase the shooter around a billion screens. But if he's at the four, most fours behave in the way that he can defend well. Yeah, I think that that's pretty fair, and he covers the ground pretty well, uh, getting out to the perimeter uh, on closeouts. It blocked a, a few jumpers over the course of the year uh, as well. He will surprise guys with the speed and, and of course with the length of his contest. So the ability to to guard in isolation against smaller players, like I think he'll he can hold up in the post fine against most power forwards. Uh, you know, and I'm not sure whether he's going to be like an elite switch defender. I'm probably not going to get there. You know, if you're going to compare him to Jarris Walker, like each of them have pluses and minuses uh, as an individual defender on the perimeter. I, I think I like Hendricks maybe a little bit better there. But where I really like Hendricks more is this rim protection that he's providing at the four. And of course, you have to the rim protection. It's like okay, that's that's a nice benefit, but is that really worth anything if he can't play the four in the other respects? we'll get to that. But this rim protection is really exciting to me. I I thought it, in addition to his ability to close out on guys, block some jumpers, I thought his rotations were usually pretty on point. I thought he gets off the ground very quickly. He also hunts shock blocks as, as well. He had a, one of my favorite plays is when you know a guy gets the ball down low and he's standing at the free throw guy and guarding someone on the perimeter and is able to get down there and disrupt the shot as as the guy is making the catch. You know, two quick steps get there, affect the layup or, or block it when you're hanging out at the free throw line when the pass is made. Like those are the sorts of plays. There's a lot of plays where he would come from places where they just weren't expecting another rim protector to be and make plays. And then also, I thought he blocked so many guys' dunks this yes, year. I love that. Yeah, you could talk about that a little bit more if you want. Well, I mean, the so part of what you're doing there, we talk about this a lot in terms of what you and I both watch the footage for players with the ball in their hands of assists and turnovers because it's the idea is like you can have good you can have good turnovers on the idea of like at least you were trying something. Hendrick's aggress- aggressiveness trying and often successfully blocking dunks means that he, you know, is in the right position. You can't really block a dunk from bad position unless you're going to, you know, get a, get called for a dangerous foul. So he's there, he's trying it. He's, and, and that also like when you're watching their film, it's like somebody who does that often is affecting other shots as well. And so, yeah, I think it's, it's not only a good in and of itself, but it is an indicator of other ways that he is helping your team. Yeah, and his ability to rotate, he's not making like preternatural rotations, but he's making pretty good rotations with his quickness, and he has enough quickness even if he's not right there. And it, recall too, he's playing some small ball center for them, but he's also playing plenty of power forward too. So he's not always like in perfect position. And he also had some pretty good verticality type plays at the rim as well, even if he wasn't blocking the shot. And, and yeah, he just like guys think they have the drop on him and he gets off the ground quickly enough to get his hand in front of the rim and stop him. Uh, 
and so whether it's making the rotation getting over there with his chest coming over the top from behind on guys who are already engaged with another defender uh making plays uh, as a rotator on the perimeter uh, contesting shots a lot of that looked pretty good not maybe as good just like blocking the shot of his own man in isolation necessarily but i it was definitely very intriguing and we'll kind of have to talk about what it means to have that shot blocking at the power forward position so we've kind of talked about most of his defense here you know i think he's gonna be adequate sliding his feet for power forward very solid as a power forward rim protector but can he play that position offensively Uh, Yeah, my answer is yes. I I think that there are a lot of different ways that power forwards can impact offensively, particularly a lower usage guy. I don't think of Hendricks as a high usage NBA player. He did have 21 at UCF, but that's not the best ACC team. And Hendricks is the highest ranked recruit in their program's history, which I mentioned in the bio section. So you could be a good post-up player, you could be a role man, you could do lots of things, but the easiest way is to make your jump shots, you know, and you do that. And with Hendricks, 39% on four and a half threes per game. That's very good in and of itself, but it's even stronger than that because some of the shots that Hendricks took, in part because of that, you know, being the highest ranked recruit, he did some pull-up threes. They were bad. I don't expect them to be good. I wouldn't expect them to be good for anybody kind of like this. So if you take those out, the catch-and-shoot threes actually was 41% on a deeper college three line than they used to have. And so I was pretty impressed with that. The inside the arc game we'll talk about, but just as a shooter, I think that mechanically he's good and he'll be respected out there. And even if his game isn't scalable, he has the most important basic strength for a low usage guy. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how high he could get that usage. That's another question I have about him. I do think there is some upside to the offensive game here, but in terms of a floor, yeah, I believe it in his three-point shooting, there wasn't a huge number of these but he was 9 of 15 on pick and pops a a substantial number Mm -hmm. of those being threes and while his footwork isn't perfect he's still it will be kind of off balance when he fires it it's a little bit more of a set shot but he gets it off quickly doesn't have a huge dip you know he'll kind of catch the ball at his chest and go go straight up with it not quite as quick a release as Grady Dick, who we'll talk about uh, at some point here. But I was definitely impressed for a power forward at, at the type of shooting he was able to provide. Shot a very solid percentage, high 70s from the free throw line. So yeah, for a freshman, 6'9", with these his defensive and shot blocking chops, this was very, very solid shooting. You know, not at the level of like a Lowry Markinen in college, but maybe the next step down from that. Definitely his best offensive attribute. He could shoot a little bit coming off of screens like that might be a place where he could evolve a little bit to be a threat as well and yeah i I agree with you the off the dribble is not gonna be amazing mostly because he doesn't really have the ability to do much off the dribble inside the arc so there's no reason to be putting it in his hands off the dribble to begin with and like a pick and roll or something because he's just all you would do is shoot it anyway uh but yeah this is definitely very solid shooting and i it makes you think hey this guy he's gonna be able to shoot i think he's gonna defend moving his feet on the perimeter at least adequately and he's going to be a plus rim protector like that is a very interesting package what about the rest of the offense game that part is less inspiring for Hendricks though the context I think makes some of that some 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 of that that better you know I thought the hen- the on-ball stuff for Hendricks was not particularly impressive still kind of stiff in his movement there were a couple that looked great like there was one where he was in the triple threat at the top of the key faked his 
man drove the lane and had a nice dunk. So there, there were definitely highlights there. But his touch around the basket is a concern for me. But yeah, his overall finish, finishing, you know, touch inside the arc is a concern. I had this in my notes and then it was further buttressed by the great Caitlin Cooper that Hendricks converted just 43% of his layups in the half court. And it is important to note that players this tall, you know, their their easier looks are going to be dunked, so the layups are more contested. But still, that's not fantastic. Finishing through contact is a weak point. And the, he didn't really take many runners, only 21 on, I, I think, 21, maybe 17, 17 field goal attempts the whole season from that area. So the kind of the overall finishing package is not what I hoped for either. I think he can get to be better as a finisher i think a lot of that is just due to not being that strong and he does get enough dunks to alley-oops quick pops off, off the ground uh offensive rebounds that i think is overall percentages are going to be good like yeah is he and i also don't think that he's going to be you know like driving against a set defense and and having to finish with craft in that way i i think with his athleticism he doesn't have great length we don't see like great one-hand touch finishes necessarily i mean he has good length but he doesn't show off that length i should say on his finishes so yeah i mean it's a concern for me but not a huge one particularly because he's able to dunk enough of them i also actually thought that he's not going to be like a dominating post score but i thought that that could be a something he could get to a few times a game i thought he had a nice little proclivity for ducking in when his man turned his head and then he's got a left shoulder jump hook that if he doesn't have a body on like he'll his favorite move is to kind of push the ball out into space a little bit coming across the lane so he can get separation from his defender's body and then pop off the ground quickly before his defender can get there and i thought he had pretty good touch on those he'll do that going either left shoulder or right shoulder more effective left shoulder for kind of the half hook floater play and was able to duck in a few times as well uh, as he gets stronger maybe that'd be more realistic that's probably more oh hey the point guard switched on to him than any going and got anyone like sized necessarily but i do think between the ability to be a volume shooter maybe even be a guy who comes off of screens because this is a really well-developed part of his game shooting the three ball at this age and as you noted the college line is a lot closer to the nba line than it used to be and then just some offensive rebounds or the occasional post up running the floor in transition which he did really well pick and pop game being a roll man and pick and roll also he could certainly do at times i think there's enough there where maybe i I, i'm not going to count on this but i think there's the upside to be like a third score potentially i think it sounds like you're not of that i like my third scores to be able to do a little bit more with the ball in their hands like that but i also think that asking Hendricks to do less for now might actually hone that part of his game just because the incentive fixing the incentive structures of like hey you're our best player do all this stuff to do this if you're good enough yeah and and not necessarily third creator but third score yeah the third leading score it's plausible absolutely plausible so i guess we we can kind of finish up on it because we got to get to grady dick here relatively shortly but who are some comps that came to mind the taylor hendricks if those people who haven't seen too much i didn't have particularly good ones um there i mean you could describe it as kind of a a poor man's version of the original theory of jaron jackson jr um so Jaron has become a I, I loved his defensive film and I thought that I, I think so that does Hendricks a little bit of a disservice because he's not quite that guy. But the idea of Jaron being a lower usage capable three point shooter who could be in or out of the primary action and who's an adept help defender like I think those elements are there and but I don't mean it like he's going to be as good as Jaron Jackson because he's
because he's not. Um, I and and I think what's what's hard about it is he's a kind of a three and D power forward who is who is pretty solid at both of those, and those guys just don't come along very often. Well, and particularly when the D includes both some ability on the perimeter and the ability to protect the rim. So as I go through our list of power forward, in terms of guys who I would say are going to be better rim protectors than what I would project Taylor Hendricks to be in a few years, Giannis, Draymond, Jaron Jackson, Evan Mobley, whether he's a power forward or a center, that's probably about it. I think maybe you could say Jaden McDaniels when he's deployed in that way. And he's going to be, I think, one of the better shooters at that position as well. And that just gives you a lot of latitude to make your team. And I really like that. I do think there's some upside to explore as well on the offensive end beyond just being a pure spot up shooter to actually be a guy that you pick and pop with that you run some plays for as well. A guy who at least you can force the guy who's guarding him to switch onto your ball handler because he'll get open for a a pick and pop. And I think his passing, we didn't talk about that at all. That's pretty much non-existent. I don't know how much we can expect that to improve, but I think he's at least capable of doing some stuff off the dribble not embarrassing himself attacking a closeout uh and we'll see whether he can make decisions uh, out of that but yeah this is a it's a really interesting guy to me and i think a lot of the question about him is simply how valuable is this skill set which is a relatively rare one to be able to shoot the ball like this and to be able to protect the rim and also move your feet on the perimeter and do at least some other stuff with the ball in addition to being a, just a pure shooter especially when you bring in the possibility that Hendricks could be, even if it's not a high-end multi-position defender, a multi-position defender. And I think there's an outside shot. He can be a five in certain configurations. He's not the next Draymond Green defensively or anything like that, but you could try it out. And Hendricks, you know, if his game permits it, then you could try it. I don't think it's a closing five thing. I think it's more of like a within the flow of a game situation, at least at first. But I, I think he has the I think he has better chops to do that than somebody like John Collins, for example. Yes, yeah, as, as we talked about some of the comps, I would say a physical comp for him. And I like Hendricks a lot more than this player. But physically, I think Jalen Smith is pretty close to him. Smith might have been a little bit better of a shot blocker in college, but in terms of strength and pretty good shooting, I think Hendricks is a better shooter at this stage uh, than Jalen Smith. But that that's the kind of body that we're thinking about and. And John Collins is an interesting one too. He's not, doesn't have the post game and the great finishing. He's not the level of score that John Collins was. Although he's not coming out after his sophomore year. He's coming out after his freshman year. And maybe that's something that could have developed a little bit more. And John Collins a little more half as well. Brandon Clark was another one that I had. I don't think that he is quite as bouncy as Brandon Clark. I like his lateral movement a little bit better than Brandon Clark. And obviously shooting. Yeah. I like Hendrick's offensive game significantly more than Brandon Clark's. Yeah. Yeah. Hendricks is a power forward. Clark is a center uh, offensively for sure. But again, another guy in terms of just that kind of skinny type, six ten or so, six nine, and uh, ability to block some shots. All right, I think that's about all I all I have on him. But I, I'm I'm intrigued by him in a way that I haven't been with some of the other guys that we've looked at. It's like I would definitely need to think about him with respect to like Cam Whitmore. But I would I would have him above uh, Jarris Walker personally. I, I like his skill set a little bit more than I like uh, Jarris Walker, even though Jarris Walker is interesting with the bulk i don't know how much of that really that doesn't have as much applicability as the shooting and i think uh, hendrix is a superior shooter uh superior athlete around the basket and uh, gives much better rim protection like i'm not saying 
Jairus Walker couldn't be better than him, but I, and I actually, I think I like the offensive upside of, of Hendricks better. Even Walker is really the only thing he does better to me offensively is pass uh, out of short roll type of situation. So yeah, I, I like Hendricks more, I think on both than, than Jairus Walker. That, and I'm interested to see which of those guys goes ahead of the other. Just as a quick note, I, I was doing a rudimentary basketball reference search. Only 11 players listed at six foot nine or taller um, playing power forward center or like kind of how outside you find it played over 500 minutes and attempted three and a half or more three pointers per game. And it's it's a pretty strong list. You know, like there 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 aren't many there aren't many shaky players on it there. You know, there are some guys who are young and still developing, but, you know, it's it's a rare skill set. And if you add it in shot blocking or some of the other stuff, it's it's even more rare. Yeah, this is a guy that I think has a very good shot at being a top 15-ish power forward in the league maybe not quite top 10 but i mean you know if you're, here's my 10 to 15 in power forward rankings was jeremy grant franz wagner paulo michael porter jr kyle kuzma tobias harris and that any of those guys pretty decent pick for the lower end of the top 10 i would say absolutely and we've always talked about how power forward in a lot of ways just for a normal team is going to determine how you play and i i really like the number of different ways that he enables you to play on both ends potentially again you never know what he's gonna be but i'm a believer in the shooting i'm a believer in the room protection and it's just a question of like the degree on each of those and then what other skills you could fill in around that ready for grady dick yes uh grady dick grew up in wichita kansas was actually the gatorade national player of the year in 21 22 but was still a five-star prospect in teens rather than top 10 usually you'd think somebody who was national high school player of the year would be better than that um was a one and is a one and done which is very unusual we'll talk about his skill set and how why that's uncommon um i was second team all big 12 and grady dick part of the story with him is actually his physical measurements six six and a quarter without shoes that's you know pretty much six eight with them 204 pounds about a 6'9 wingspan, 8'5 standing reach. Rookie year will be his age 20 season. Very similar in that way to Taylor Hendricks. But I believe they're both November of 2003. And for the physical comps, Grady Dick is bigger than the shooting guard guys like Kevin Herter. He's more like a, I would, the, the ones I looked up, like a lighter Doug McDermott or a slightly smaller Sam Hauser. So that means he's more of a three defensively than a two or a four. And that matters in terms of his position and his role. But Nate, I wanted to do it a little bit differently with this. I actually uh, did, did this with the questions. I didn't prep you for this, but I know you know the answers to these. For Caitlin, when I had Caitlin Cooper on Real GM Radio, I was thinking about this as like the way I evaluate a shooter type guy and it's four questions and they'll be kind they can kind of be the first lens that we use to evaluate grady dick and so i am gonna tell you the shooting goes in two categories and i'll tell you both of these questions that start because you'll you'll combine them in your answers otherwise it's basically is the shot real and is the shot versatile yeah and i would say uh yes with both of those it's had a reputation of being one of the best shooters for a long time 40 percent three high volume and to be high volume is it's got to be versatile so there's the one thing i would say he's not like unbelievable at is just rising up high on a dead sprint but he's constantly moving and he's got versatility not necessarily in terms of how high he's getting off the ground to get a shot a lot of these guys when you think of versatility they're able to rise up and then they turn their body in the air that's how they get more shots off he's more he just catches the ball at his shoulders and just goes straight up with it from there shot prep is fantastic one two or the hop and because he has such a compact motion from his shoulders he doesn't really need all that much time and space 
to get it off and then he's got a pretty high release uh, as well so yeah there's definitely plenty of versatility to this i would say for sure greedy dick took 62 shots coming off screens and was or 62 possessions and was 17 to 51 on that that's a little bit lower but i thought the mechanics on on those looked plenty good and he one of the things about versatility which is a little bit different for greedy dick but i think we're going to see this moving forward with guys of this ilk is his his kind of like shooting related handle so i've long said the thing about like two dribbles in a good decision well greedy dick does two dribbles sometimes to set up his own shot whether that's a mid-ranger i don't always love those but also just like kind of repositioning for the three like take the flyby kind of set yourself up again and do it and i thought those mechanics looked really really good for grady dick um and one thing i found interesting and it's worth noting that during this time the college three-point line changed but i looked up because i was just interested in this of the first i brought up the idea that there aren't that many one and done shoot first guys like that's it's an unusual set of skills for a guy to come out early but i looked up some of the like guys who had a rep as a shooter who were drafted high and so like a lot of them actually had a higher shooting percentage on threes albeit some of them on a closer line so like desmond bain 44 percent and this is in their final year cam johnson 46 herder 42 hauser 41 42 um but that's only part of the story and i mean these guys are all taking plenty of volume and for grady dick i thought that the the there was some versatility in a shot i've never been the biggest fan of bill self's offense but he wasn't in a position to succeed i thought that 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 he did well overall and what one of the things that i really liked about grady dick's jump shot is that even if it wasn't like that full dead sprint thing there were opportunities like he you know he would he understood the situation and like was able to also use his gravity which is kind of like the other element of shooting that isn't always discussed within a shot is well if they're selling out on that can you do something else yeah and i love the way that he plays really enjoyed the film on him he plays great 0.5 basketball he's always moving he's always trying to find some way to move and get an advantage in the half court a a ton of plays as a cutter uh, really runs well in transition it'll work out a split cuts he can work off of screens off the ball maybe a little bit on the ball shooting it as well and he's just really hard to guard and he's he'll leverage his shooting ability and the versatility of that jump shot to force you to stick to him and then he can get the advantage on the back door or of course that you can run dummy actions and do some other stuff because you got to stay with this guy and so that's again for a guy at his age how old is he let's get that out he's there. 19 now uh he'll be he'll be his age 20 season as a rookie and so for a guy this age to have this level of not only shooting versatility not only this quick of a release and accuracy but an understanding of just how to play quickly how to give you some offensive pace in the half court with this movement is really enjoyable and then we kind of glossed over the physical profile and you know i would say in terms of physical profile pretty similar to kevin herter but maybe faster in a straight line herter was six six and a quarter eight six standing reach six eight wingspan so pretty close to what grady dick is mcdermott is another one that you mentioned that mcdermott he came out after he was in or made it through his senior year and he was basically playing almost powerful 
40. He wasn't playing the same way he would need to play in the pros, and Dick is already doing that. I mean, that's the other thing that's pretty amazing and noted about this kind of movement shooting at this uh, stage of development. But he's a pretty good athlete for this player type in particular, like would in transition, would get up for alley-oops. Like there was one play where he's moving against the zone, cuts along the baseline and gets like that dunk that behind the two, three zone on the baseline. And he's not, he's not just like crushing these dunks, but he's getting up there off of two feet with two hands. Uh, Also even would like sneak in for some offensive rebounds at times too, 4% offensive rebound rate. Again, when you talk about this player type, like if he happens to be making a cut and he's not open and the shot goes up, he'll hang around, fly in for a rebound. I really enjoyed some of his finishes. He's great with his left and right hand. Some really cheeky like scoop finishes and from angles you don't expect around the rim. Again, quick decisions, shooting it quickly underneath uh, on some of these cuts to finish. Just really enjoyed just about every aspect of his offensive game. Didn't, despite the aggressiveness, I didn't think he tried to do too much. Uh, And so like, it seems like he's a guy, if not, maybe it'll take a little bit to adjust to the NBA line and, and how quick you have to move against NBA defense to get your shot off. But I expect within a year or two, he's going to be a a real threat as a a movement shooter. And there just aren't that many of those still in the league. I think he can be one of the 10 best guys at that skill uh, in the league at the shooting guard position. A couple other parts of Grady Dick's offensive story that I think are worth at least mentioning. One is very successful driver on spot ups. So he was over a point per possession, driving left and driving right over 30 possessions on each, you know, kind of knew, picked his spots well, understood the situation. And so if a guy's closing out on him hard, then that's what you can do. And it's not always scoring for yourself. It could be setting up a teammate there. And I had a little bit more of a beef with the offensive rebounding. I think Grady Dick has a nose for the ball. This is true on both ends of the floor. But because he's not the greatest athlete, I, I agree that he's better than some of these player, some of the players with this general skill set. But his go guy stuff worked better at Kansas than I think it will in the NBA because he's not going to be able to go for that and then still like beat his guy down the floor. NBA athletes are just so much better. But you can tone that down within his general instincts and work pretty well. Um, And I thought that you could tell Grady Dick's feel in a lot of different ways. One of them is his understanding of spacing and how to move to create better passing angles for teammates. That is a really, that's one of my favorite things about like JJ Redick, for example, that he did very well. Clay at times can do this well. Sometimes it's, it, 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 it can vacillate a bit. And then like the understanding, like it wasn't really necessarily running pick and roll, but maybe you get the ball and there's a big near you and you kind of force a decision. Then you throw a bounce pass, like those sorts of decisions, those sorts of putting the defense in a little bit of difficulty, I thought worked very well for Dick in a way that most players don't necessarily have as a true freshman. Yeah, and he's also got the ability to rise up from the mid-range. He shoots more of a set shot from three. He's able to rise up a little bit more from the mid-range to get his shot off when that's required. And, I, I, um, I thought, I thought yeah. he was too thirsty going for his mid-ranger. So overall, 89 off the dri- jumpers off the dribble, 59% true shooting there, about half of those twos, half of those three. So while I cringed at times watching it because I like, oh, you could have gotten something better, they did go in. So I don't know that he's just absolutely ridiculous as a shot maker. I and mean, these are tough shots I don't think for he sure. Is. Yeah, he's 
I wouldn't compare him to Corey Kisper. I think he's going to become something close to what people hoped Corey Kisper would be. Got a lot more versatility to shot than Corey Kisper, but he does shoot a little bit of a flatter ball from three. Sometimes you'll see him put a little more arc on it when he's contested to get it off, but it's not, it's not just like that perfect Clay Thompson, Steph Curry style of arc. Now, JJ Redick shot a little bit flatter of a ball too. Like there, Ray Allen would kind of shoot like that sometimes as well. Like kind of more laser it in. So I'm, but he doesn't feel like a guy who you're just going to be like, he's going to make like highlight real three pointers from way out. Or so he had a couple that were really deep. So maybe I'm wrong about that. He just doesn't feel like he feels like he's like the next level down from like some of the greatest shooters, but still, you know, outstanding. Uh, you know, maybe he's kind of more in like a buddy healed type of mode uh, as a, a shooter, but I think maybe it has better field and healed and can do more inside the arc. I would say, um, you know, and I, I really liked what he did in transition as well. Again, just ru- running the floor hard. He plays hard. What really I would say excites me more about him is just for this player type. I, I know he's maybe a little more the size of a three. I think he's going to be guarding the other teams too because he's not, I don't think he's going to hold up against most threes as the primary matchup. But I thought in terms of just, again, his intelligence he really actually makes some plates defensively as a help guy sticking his nose in in the passing lanes steals numbers were pretty good so I, I thought that that again of just his near constant activity and understanding what the de- the defense required and what the offense was trying to do I thought was very impressive again for if you're going to compare him to like a Duncan Robinson type I don't think he's and and just really to all of these shooter types even like a herder I think he's even and herder's not bad defensively he'll rebound and so too i think he's actually even a level up from herder both in terms of his playmaking and then even his on ball uh moving his feet defensively not not a huge plus to be sure mm-hmm. in terms of individual defense but i think he can be a plus within the team system yeah. Again, on, on the, on the robinson struce scale i think that he's maybe closer to struce but has different strengths so i i think i, I cracked up watching gray jack's film because he at times like he's kind of the opposite of some of the like defenders like i would say james harden in this what i mean they have some similarities but like i like grady dick a lot better when he's reacting and helping rather than challenge like but i like him a lot less when you're challenging him on ball so like with harden i've always said like don't go after him like on a post up or something do something else well with grady dick it's kind of the opposite if he makes a read makes a reaction he does well 50 steals overall 1.4 per game a lot of those were kind of right place right time understanding the situation playing hard um i watched the game against indiana where he had five steals was pretty impressive overall in that contest. And yeah, I, I liked the defensive film a little bit more than I expected as a one-on-one defender, not the biggest fan, but as a defender within a team concept, generally more, you know, in the, you know, positive-ish, not like a plus or anything like that. But it, I think, and also because of his positional size, it will be harder, it'll be harder to hunt him in some ways than it is some of the other, you know, offense, offense first shooters that we have. Yeah, he's 204. I think he can get strong enough to where he's not going to just get run over i think if you also let's say they call him up uh, for a pick and roll i think he has a good enough understanding that he can just play a conventional pick and roll coverage and avoid giving up the switch if you want to play it that way and then in isolation he didn't really get blown by that much i thought it was more that he would back off a little bit too much and then his arms aren't particularly long particularly the eight five standing reach is a little short uh for a six nine wingspan and so he doesn't get a great contest particularly because he's more 
more kind of backing off and containing and i guess maybe that was more scouting report stuff for some of these guards that he was going against as well but i do think that he his feet are quick enough to at least kind of direct the ball into the help and not just get completely steamrolled immediately or immediately foul i thought he did a pretty good job like showing his hands not fouling playing with intelligence in that respect as well so i think i don't want to say he'll be an above average defender of the shooting guard but we talked about this when we did the shooting guard rankings just how terrible the shooting guard position is in general in terms of defense and so i think he actually can be average and maybe even slightly above when you consider that he is able to do some stuff as a help defender and in the passing lanes and he and he's going to compete which you can't say about a lot of these guys quite frankly i think i'm less of a fan of his feet than you are overall but he's still like there's still plenty to like there and you know like there were plays where he got bit a little bit on pumping and the guy was just gone you know like there's no real chance of a recovery there um there were times where he got screened off and just didn't have the agility so i I think that dick does the mental part of the game well but sometimes you know translating that and the jump from the big 12 to the nba athletically that's going to tighten up those timings so I, i think it will be at times a challenge i'm a little less optimistic on his defense but i'm not severely pessimistic either i want to kind of knew that and there were also other plays like in the defense film that i really did like like there was one big was posting him up competed hard and then when the big kind of turned put his hand out got a steal like those sorts of things like yeah. he's got decent hands like that's like yeah. be, can be part of being a decent individual defender like part of why doug mcdermott has always sucked so much is it's not even that he's like pathetic defensively in terms of like his ability to move his feet which he is but it's also that the, the offensive player knows exactly what he can do and that there's just zero chance of like getting your shot block or getting it knocked out of your hands on a steal or something whereas dick at least will if you expose the ball to him there's a decent chance he might be able to get it anything else that you think is essential to talk about here uh, i mean i guess it's just a question of how valuable this skill set is that's a, another thing we've got a few more minutes but i think he's a guy who can fit in in any system offensively makes quick decisions he's smart plays well within the system is this a guy that you would expect to see on a high level playoff team as your worst defender and just ask the miami heat you can do worse like he's a lot better than a tyler hero or a duncan robinson like i thought struce struce on the continue he doesn't have that barrel chested strength that struce has but now you're you're like okay isn't your point guard gonna be wor- your worst defender like, but certainly just every team needs shooting every team could use someone like this even if it's maybe coming off the bench sometimes like i think he's gonna be a very solid shooting guard in this league for a long time and i think he's gonna be like, i think he has the ability to be a lot better than many of these guys who have been getting these 20 million dollar a year contracts at the shooting guard position your hardaway juniors your heels your gary trent jr i think i feel like he's going to be a better player than all those guys you never know of course there's uncertainty to be sure but i i really like his game a lot and particularly because he's not he doesn't just like come off a screen and just jack up the first shot immediately like he he does a lot of other stuff that are gonna it's, it's gonna help your offense what concerns me is the lack of kind of on ball juice like this he's a player that makes your offense better but is it essential so like i don't see a lot of all nba like equity with great dick but okay you're not taking you're not taking him in the top five anyway and 
and can make teams better. And I'm not certain that he'll be in the closing five in every iteration. You brought up the Heat, but the Heat also do have a lot of good defenders. I, uh, Caitlin and I talked about the limitations of the Pacers drafting him because they already have Tyrese Halliburton. And it's like, well, how can you cover for both of those guys? And so some teams will have those decisions to make, but can be a part of your rotation and is a skill set that's hard to find and hard to and, and to be this good at what he's good at this young like we haven't seen one and done shooters before and he he has earned that through the play that he had before and at kansas and so yeah i'm, I'm extremely excited to see him in the nba yeah i'm gonna struggle to reconcile on my board of how do you compare him to a taylor hendricks or a jarris walker because he doesn't play as valuable of a position and, and maybe doesn't have the same upside as far as like defensively fitting in on a high level playoff team it, it, bill simmons always likes to be like hey could he have played in the series that we just saw right and yeah defensively like eh, going against the absolute best teams what's this gonna look like maybe not great but he also provides a, a really important offensive element and so i I'm and I am as I noted I I just trust him and his intelligence and some of the reads that he makes to be able to figure things out enough defensively compared to some of these other shooter types that we see and then to get that type of shooting at the two and passable defense a good team defense that's that's interesting I need to really think about uh, both he and Hendricks are as as you noted for one and done guys interesting prospects that don't have amazing handles so I want to think a little bit more wrap my head around what because I I feel like I have a good feel for what these guys are going to be it's just how valuable is that that's what i the question i really have to answer and particularly in comparison to say the athleticism of a guy like cam whitmore who's obviously much less developed skills all right that will do it that was a lot of fun and uh remember when we talked about the the bradley beals trade interesting okay we'll be back tomorrow special guests we're really getting into the draft this week hollins and i are going to get into it so can't wait to do all this great content in the lead up to thursday's big day At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.